पार्थय प्रतिबोधिता भगवता नारायण स्वयं व्यासेन ग्रथिता पुराण मुनिना मध्ये महाभारत अद्वैतामृतवर्षिणी भगवती अष्टादशाध्यायिनी गीते भगवदेषिणी यं ब्रह्मवरुणेन्द्रुद्रमुद स्तुन्वती दिव्यस्तव वेदसांगपदक्रमोपनिषद ध्यानावस्थितगतेन मनसा पश्योगिन यन्न विदुस्सुरासुरगण देवाय तस्म नम दूरेण शिवकर्म बुद्धियोगाधनंजय बुद्धौ शरणमच्छ कृपण फलहेतव लॉर्ड कृष्ण सैद बुद्धौ शरणमच्छ शरण मीन्स प्रोटेक्शन मी यू सीक यू प्रोटेक्शन फ्रॉम बुद्धि मीनिंग मी यू सीक प्रोटेक्शन फ्रॉम कमिटमेंट टू नॉलेज बुद्धि शंकराचार्य एक्सप्लेन्स इन टू वेज The literal meaning of the word buddhi is intellect. <coughs> However, buddhi also means knowledge. So, the word buddhi is interpreted in two ways. One way is knowledge, meaning the attitude. First meaning is the attitude of performing the action as an offering to the Lord. This is what is meant by buddhi, uh, which makes the karma or the karma makes an action into yoga. So, it is this. attitude of ishwarama buddhi or offering of the lord is called buddhi and second is buddhi means knowledge knowledge of the self or knowledge of the truth which ultimately brings about what we call moksha liberation so we have said earlier that when can a person become a karma yogi when is it possible for me to perform actions as an offering to the lord only when i am clear as to what i am seeking only mumukshu meaning even a person desires of moksha a person of desires of liberation alone can really be a karma yogi because he doesn't desire things at least there is a discrimination there is a discerning of the problem as you said and one is understood that what one is seeking is freedom in life and that freedom is gained by knowledge of the self who is free and not by being something or acquiring something so when this is clear that karma or the action is not a means for becoming bigger than what i am or for acquiring something that i don't have for fulfilling or for satisfaction of the ego or the senses that action is not really a means for that that action is a means for the uh, inner unfoldment or inner development which ultimately leads me to knowledge and leads me to liberation when this is clear then alone action can be performed as an offering to the lord as long as one is a strong one there is a strong need to be something <coughs> to be bigger better wealthier recognized and whatever it is so long it is not possible perform action as an offering to the lord because mind will automatically employ action for acquiring something for becoming something therefore lord krishna said rather than the action perform compared to the action perform for gaining something the action perform in the spirit of offering is much much superior because uh, yes when you perform an action to acquire something that you don't have surely you will perhaps gain it but then what do you get out of that as we discussed earlier that no doubt every achievement gives me some kind of a satisfaction but the satisfaction is only going to be a temporary satisfaction my mind will soon demand something else 
On the other hand, when action is performed as a means for lasting satisfaction, then that is a proper way of doing. And that is lasting satisfaction is something that is within myself. So lasting satisfaction is something that is to be invoked, that is to be made manifest rather than to be acquired. So may you perform action as a means of manifestation of what you already are, rather than acquiring something that you don't have, because what you are seeking is what you are. So important thing is, what I am seeking is really not away from me. And it is this fundamental understanding will enable me to perform an action as a means of invoking what is already there, which is myself, rather than acquiring something that I don't have. <coughs> Otherwise, you may perform actions, great, get great rewards, and um, even make great accomplishments, but still it will keep you a, a person who is always asking and demanding and desiring. Because that lack which is there within oneself cannot be eliminated by any gain. Any acquiring, any gaining or any becoming cannot eliminate that fundamental lack or want that one is feeling within oneself. Because what one wants is limitless and therefore no limited gain is ever going to make a person fulfilled. And so yes, when you perform actions to gain something that you don't have, you may become an accomplished person or a successful person as far as the worldly criteria are concerned in terms of material achievement is concerned. Yes, action can be performed as a means of material achievement and also the action can be performed as a means of spiritual unfoldment. Which way do you want to perform? So when an action is performed as a means of spiritual unfoldment, it is called yoga. When its action is performed as a means of material achievement, well then, it fails to yield that, that other result which it, which it can yield. They, they give the illustration that suppose you plant a mango tree for the sake of fruit. When a mango tree grows, not only will it give you fruit, it will also give you shade. And it will also give you fragrance. It will give you a lot of things. And similarly also, when you perform an action as a means of spiritual unfoldment, it will give you the material ends anyway, because when you perform an action, an appropriate result has to come. But then, action is performed not for a given result. Action is performed, as you said, as an offering. And then whatever result comes, result will come when you perform an action, except that the result is not something that is kept in mind while performing action. It is action and the sense of offering that is kept in mind. <coughs> this was called buddhi. Buddhi is the, the attitude of offering the action to the Lord. Meaning offering myself to the Lord. What is action? Action is nothing but an expression of, of, of myself. I express myself constantly through various actions. Perform the level of body or at the level of the word, speech, or at the level of mind, the various actions are performed are nothing but an expression of myself. And therefore, really, offering action is offering myself. <coughs> it is this attitude of offering, which is going to be amplified in the third chapter, when Lord Krishna will talk about the concept of yajna. Yajna means sacrifice. And show to us how in the whole universe, this whole spirit of sacrifice is there, all the whole universe is, is functioning on the spirit of sacrifice. There's a grand cosmic sacrifice constantly going on, where all the various elements of the nature are constantly sacrificing themselves without expectation of any reward. Take any element with a space, air, fire, water, earth, these are all different elements. And you look at all these elements, how space also accommodates anything and everything without discrimination, without any reward. Air also sustains the life of all the living beings without any demand. Fire gives warmth and cooks and gives energy to everyone. Water quenches the thirst, removes the dirt and nourishes, nurtures. And earth also feeds, supports, nourishes. All these elements are just working. They are only offering themselves. You look at sun, moon, you look at anything in the creation, everything is functioning constantly 
on the basis of offering, serving. And that should also be the spirit that the human being should have in his life because human being also is part of nature. And therefore, when I also have this attitude of what we call sacrifice or offering, then I am in harmony with the prevailing uh, order in the universe and that is how my life also becomes in becomes harmonious <coughs> and that's how one grows one gets tuned up ultimately that harmony alone is God what is God is nothing but that harmony which is manifest in the whole universe and its manifestation is in the form of yajna or the sacrifice so to know the God the first step is to be in harmony with God to tune up with God to know God as a very self First I tune up with him and that creates the ground for knowing him. So how do you tune up? The tuning up process alone is called yoga. And what is yoga? A spirit of offering, spirit of worship. May every action be performed as an act of worship to the Lord. My whole life becomes worship. As Shankaraja says in one of his hymns, Atmatum girijamati sahacharaha prana shariram graham says the Lord you are the self and my mind or the intellect is your consort meaning may my mind always dwell upon you pranaha sahacharaha all my different sense organs hands, legs and all the organs of action all of them are your servants it means may, they perf- may all my sense organs of action perform in service to you Shariram Graham, this body is your home, this body is your temple. Pujate Vishayapabhogarachana and all the various experiences are gained through the organs of perception. The knowledge of sounds, taste, touch, all of these various knowledge that are gained, all the various experiences are gained at the level of senses. May they become your puja, may they become your worship. Because all the knowledge is gained only is nothing, is nothing but is an offering to the Lord who is the very self. Nidra samadhi sthidihi Let the nidra or the sleep be the samadhi. Samadhi is when I am absorbed in God. So in deep sleep I am absorbed in Lord. May the deep sleep be treated as an absorption, samadhi. Sancharaf padoho pradakshina vidihi all the movement of my legs may be, may be circumambulation. You see, in India, when you go to the temple, then you circumambulate around the shrine. After having done all the puja and having done all the darshan, then one of the final steps is circumambulation. Once, or sometimes five times. And that circumambulation also is in the spirit of meditation, that you are circumambulating around the shrine and maintaining the same kind of thoughts which you have maintained at the time of worship. So, may wherever my, the movement of my legs may be treated as the circumambulation. Sanjara padayof pradakshinavihi stotrani sarvagiraha And in worship we chant different hymns and recite different stotras in one, you know, the prayers. So all my speech be nothing but the recital of a prayer, prayers and hymns. And thus, O Lord, whatever action I perform may it be your worship. The spirit is that may the whole of my life become an offering to you, a worship to you. This is called yoga, where constantly there is a thought of the Lord in everything and anything that I do. And that's how I get tuned up to Him. And this ultimately results into the knowledge of that Lord as the very self. And so, Action can ultimately lead me to the ultimate goal of liberation. So may you perform an action as a means of liberation rather than performing an action merely as a means of some limited material gain. That's all Lord Krishna is saying. (coughs) And okay, in this manner when you perform the action as an offering to the Lord and also whatever reward comes as a result of the action when you receive that reward also as a gift of Lord or grace of Lord, then what happens to you? What is it that you achieve by that? And samatvavadhyuktasan swadhamam anutishtan yat phalam praptodhi tachrunam 
that when you perform action endowed with this attitude, then what's the result? That is being stated in the next verse, the fiftieth verse. Buddhiyuktau jahatiha ubhe sukrata dushkure tasmad yuvaya yujyasva yoga karma sukaushalam. Buddhiyuktau jahatiha ubhe sukrata dushkure. Buddhiyuktaha. One who is endowed with this buddhi, one who is endowed with this attitude of performing action as an offering to the Lord and receiving the results as prasada or as grace of the Lord. Meaning one who sees or all the time thinks of the Lord as an altar to where the actions are offered and is ordainer who constantly gives me the rewards of the action. Jahati iha ubhe sukrata dushkrate iha. Right here in this world, in this life itself, ubhe sukrata dushkrate jahati. One in fact gives up both sukrata and dushkrata. Sukrata means good action. Dushkrata means evil action. One becomes free from both the good and the evil. Thus, performing the action as an offering to the Lord, slowly, slowly, one becomes totally free from all the concepts of good and evil. One even transcends the good and evil. The idea is this good and evil is what constitutes this world. And one transcends that. Meaning, one is able to appreciate that which is even beyond the good and evil. So these are pairs of opposites. The virtue and vice, the merit and demerit, the divine and the devil, all of these are what you may call the pairs of opposites. Usually they are mutually exclusive. But then, God is not confined to any one of them. As we are saying in Bhagavad Gita, when it comes to worshipping God, we look upon God as the one who is possessed of all the great virtues. Because then alone our heart can worship. But when it comes to knowing the God, then we have to know the Lord who is everywhere in good as well as in evil. So, as they would say in the principle of complementarity, you know, that even though what we call the pairs of opposites, which otherwise do not exist simultaneously, like a wave phenomenon and the, uh, the uh, particle phenomenon, so both of them ultimately are manifestation of the same reality. Similarly also, good and evil, which are otherwise opposed to each other, both of them are manifestations of the same reality. So, reality is that or truth is that which does not exclude anything. At the moment, I am under the grip of what we call the good and evil. It is necessary also. When we perform the actions, it is necessary that our actions should be proper. Our actions should be meritorious. Our actions should be in keeping with the order. So we always choose what we call virtue and avoid vice. So first of all, the vice is to be overcome by virtue. And then virtue is overcome by knowledge. Ultimately one has to be able to transcend both. Because, because even when I am a virtuous person, then also I am able to appreciate, I mean, still I have to exclude the vice from myself in the sense that I still still see the truth the par- only in a partial way. Ultimately, when my mind becomes pure enough and when I able to see the reality, I can see that what is evil or what is called wise also is nothing but the manifestation of the same truth. That requires an absolute purity. So in order to purify the mind, it is necessary that we would avoid the wise. We would avoid sin. We would avoid that which goes against the order. Means we have to adopt dharma. Dharma means the righteousness. Sukrata meaning the good action or the proper action. That is what we take first of all, we adopt that. In order to slowly and slowly eliminate from our mind all the tendencies, all the evil tendencies. If one has the evil tendencies of compromising the truth and going or coming under the sway of the fascination of the senses, so sense gratification, etc. All of these evil tendencies are there. By evil we mean that which deprives me of myself, which keeps me extrovert. So these tendencies are there. And we have to we overcome those tendencies 
by what we call the virtue. Meaning by deliberately performing actions which are what we call dharma or which are called virtuous. And thus our mind is filled with what we call the uh, sukrata or the virtuous tendencies. And then that pure mind we employ in order to learn the truth. It is in that mind alone that the truth can be learned. And then the truth will show me that the nature of the self is beyond both virtue and vice. In short, by, as a result of performance of action, in the spirit of yoga, in the spirit of offering to the Lord, one gains what we call the purification of the mind as we explained the other day. How, when I accept every action as a command of the Lord, without any likes and dislikes or attachment aversion towards action, then my personal attachments and aversions have to be set aside when I look upon every action as command of God. And every result I look upon as the grace of God. No reaction, with, with, uh, there is no resentment, no anger, no frustration at all. So when we lead a life of these values, slowly and slowly these reactions in the mind, they become subdued and this is how we slowly acquire a mind that is free from reactions. <coughs> that is what we call a pure mind. So karma yoga enables me to acquire a mind that is pure and then with that I will be able to appreciate the meaning of the scriptures and be able to appreciate the truth that is beyond the virtue and vice. So the buddhi yukta jahati and thus one who is endowed with this knowledge, one endowed with this attitude, ultimately see, knows, sees the truth which is beyond both virtue and vice, meaning one becomes free from both virtue and vice. One becomes free from even the sense of doership. When the truth is known, then I realize that the doership and joership, both of these are the notions superimposed upon the self. And when I see myself as not even a doer, then certainly I become free when there is no ego. When the ego, then there is a question of virtue and vice. When the ego is not there, suddenly one has transcended both the virtue and vice. <coughs> Tasmad yogaya yujyasva. Therefore Lord Krishna says, Tasmad yogaya yujyasva. May you devote yourself to yoga. May you take to yoga. May you be committed to yoga. What is yoga? Again we said, Ishvara buddhi. Meaning performance of action as worship of the Lord and receiving the results as prasada or grace of Lord. May you be devoted to this buddhi, to this yoga. Yoga hai karmasu kaushalam because yoga alone is karmasu kaushalam. Kaushalam means a skill. The real skill in action is what? Yoga is the skill in action. Not skill in action is yoga. Usually what is translated, this is translated as skill in action is yoga. It should be other way around. Yoga is skill in action. So when you perform an action, what would you call skill in action? Generally speaking, when a person is able to perform action very well, very quickly or efficiently, we call that person a skillful person. When you are making chapati, roti, Someone can make one per minute, someone makes two per minute, someone can make three per minute. You say that more you make, faster you are, and more skillful you are. So usually skill is judged by the efficiency and the productivity. However, here Lord Krishna says, what is the real skill in action? We don't, we are not against the productivity or skill as it is generally uh, thought of, but the real skill in action is yoga or this Ishvarabha buddhi, this whole attitude of worship or offering to the Lord is a real skill in action. So you are skillful in performance of action when that action is performed as, as an offering to the Lord. Whether you are skillful in the worldly sense or not, fine that you may be, but you may be very skillful as far as the worldly criterion is concerned of efficiency, but then if the action is not performed with attitude, then you are not really skillful because that action becomes a binding action. 
action performed to satisfy the limited ego becomes a binding action as much as it only perpetuates the ego. On the other hand, action performed is an offering to the Lord, slowly and slowly subdues the ego. Ego is dissolved at the altar of the at the altar of the Lord. And that's why may you perform action as an offering of yourself or your ego to the Lord. And that is the real skill. The skill is why Shankarajara says here. Taddhikausalam yad bandhaswahavani vikarmani samatva buddhyaswabhavad nivartande tasmat samatva buddhito bhavatvam. Says normally an action is considered to be binding. When I perform an action, generally speaking, action is always performed with a self-awareness that I am performing the action. There is always an ego or a sense of individuality or sense of doership behind every action. And therefore, action perpetuates the sense of doership. Action perpetuates the sense of ego, the notion that I am doing it. And therefore, when the result comes, I always identify myself with the result. There is an identification of the action and there is an identification of the result. How do I identify with the result? I brand the result as success and failure. And in turn, I brand myself as successful or failure. And this is how I am bound to the action and the result. Action also cannot bind the self, result also cannot bind the self. But whenever I identify with a given thing, I am as good as bound. I am as good or as bad as what I am identified with. If I identify myself the result as my result, as my accomplishment, my achievement, then success also becomes my success and failure becomes my failure. Both of them are, are harmful or damaging to the self. Because success also is wrong. As we discussed, there is no such thing as success. My expectation may have succeeded, but actually the result of an action comes only because of the participation of infinite number of factors involved of which I am just one of the factors and therefore for me to claim the glory or claim the credit for what we call success also is wrong and therefore claiming a success for myself is nothing but only fattening my ego and there is no such thing as failure also failure also shows only an expression of I declare myself a failure there is also an expression of ego I declare myself a success both are expressions of ego so ego becomes more and more intense and so ego prompted actions or actions performed with the sense of ego perpetuate the ego, perpetuate the sense of individuality and therefore all that suffering that is involved or associated with the sense of individuality. All the suffering originates from ego or the sense of individuality. Because ahankara or the sense of I-ness gives rise to mamakara, the sense of mindness, that this is mine. And that Anything that is therefore agreeable to ego becomes an object of like. Anything that is disagreeable to ego becomes an object of dislike. So that sense of individuality gives rise to likes and dislikes, attachments and aversions. And from that is created fear. Because what I like, I want to retain. I am afraid that it may go away from me. Or what I want may not come to me, there is a fear. When there is a dislike, then also there is a fear. Well, I may be stuck with something that I don't like or what I don't like may not leave me. And so likes and dislikes or attachments and aversions also breed fear. So avidya, asmita, raga, dvesha, abhinivesha. This is how the whole chain of problem is described by Yoga Shastra. Avidya means ignorance. From that arises asmita, the sense of individuality, sense of I-ness. From that, Raga and Dvesha, attachments and aversions, Abhinivesha, fear. <coughs> All of this is perpetuated when an action is performed with a ego or the sense of individuality or action is performed for myself. On the other hand, when an action is performed for the Lord, when action is offered to please the Lord and not to please myself, then Slowly and slowly, the sense of individuality becomes less and less because my I, I don't claim the credit for the success that also belongs to God. If the action has failed, well, I accept that also as is prasada. And thus, that branding of myself also slowly and slowly is less. 
I don't keep on branding and I, either rejecting myself. So that sense of self-rejection, self-non-acceptance, all of this which comes from failures, all of that also I become slowly and slowly free from. And this is how that action becomes a means for releasing me from this whole chain of likes and dislikes and fear when perform as an offering to the Lord. When perform as an offering to myself, it intensifies attachments and aversions and fears. And when perform as an offering to the Lord, it slowly and slowly reduces attachments, aversions and fears. And that is why we call that a skill in action. Action perform to give up. Because in this life, we have to give up things. We have enough garbage within ourselves. We acquire enough of this dirt in terms of likes, dislikes and fears. And therefore, when you perform an action to get what you don't have, every accomplishment brings with itself its evils in terms of likes and dislikes. And so, in fact, action is to perform as an offering. Then likes and dislikes also get offered. Action becomes a means for inner purification. And that is how it becomes a means for what attainment of what we call a lasting, lasting happiness or the peace that we are seeking. That's why when action is performed as in the spirit of offering, then it becomes an action that is releasing me. When action is performed in the spirit of acquiring, that action becomes binding action. <coughs> Therefore, yogaha karmasu kaushalam, that attitude of Ishvarama buddhi, worship to the Lord, prasad buddhi, Accepting whatever comes to you as a gift of God or as grace of God is really the skill in our life. That's the skill that we have to acquire. So, and anybody can acquire that skill. It may be difficult for me to acquire professional skill because I may have limitation. But as far as this skill is concerned, as I said, of, of, of cultivating that sense of offering and receiving everything as a sense of grace, that skill anybody can cultivate. And thus anybody can therefore, through whatever actions they perform, they can bring about what we call an inner unfoldment. Why is it so? How do they become free from the, 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 uh, the good and bad, or the, the, the virtue and the evil? How do they become free? That's what the verse 51 says. Karmajam buddhi yuktahi phalam tyaktva maneshinaha Janma bandha vinir muktaha padam gachantya namayam. He because karmajam buddhyuktaha manishanaha karmajam phalam tektva janma bandha vinir muktaha santaha anamayam padam gachanti. Says buddhyuktaha manishanaha. Buddhyuktaha means his yogis. Those people who perform actions with this attitude that we just described. The attitude of performing action as an offering to the Lord. And it is not easy. Mind is a very utilitarian mind. Human mind is always very calculating and utilitarian. It always seeks its reward out of anything it does. We are so accustomed to seeking reward. We are so accustomed to getting reward of what we are doing that the mind will generally not do something unless some reward is there either uh, either a promised reward or an evident reward to release that mind from its its habit of seeking rewards of seeking what it does not have of always begging some kind of a gratification you know from from its achievements and accomplishments you have to completely reverse this whole trend of the mind it's not an easy thing. Mind is more like a flowing river. And imagine to completely reverse the course of the river and make the river reach its source is a very tremendous task. And so also the mind is at the moment always going out. From within it is going out. We have these five organs of perception which are like the five apertures. And constantly mind is running out through the ears, through the eyes, through the tongue. All the time contacting the objects, seeking gratifications. Seeking gratifications of the senses, gratifications of emotions, gratifications of ego. Always running out. So the conclusion that what I am seeking is out there is so firmly rooted 
that alertly and constantly when we watch our mind and identify its tendencies or how it is seeking gratification, how it is seeking reward, uh, slowly, slowly we will be able to reverse this trend and we have to make the mind see that life is meant not for acquiring get, getting, life is meant for giving and this completely transform this tendency. Therefore, buddhi yuktaha, those people who are committed to this and therefore uh, action as we said is an excellent opportunity to, it's an excellent opportunity to manifest this attitude of giving. Because suppose I want to give or I want to serve, how do I do that? Generally that spirit is expressed in the form of action. And so, these people who are active and offering actions in the spirit of worship, this is called buddhi yuktaha, phalam jatva, and they have given up phalam in the result. This whole idea of reward, and seeking gratification from its achievements and accomplishments, that whole idea is slowly and slowly given up. That I'm not seeking any reward. That performance of action itself is the reward of the action and not the result of the action. The result is offered to the Lord. And performance of action itself is what we call the reward. Because that itself gives me an opportunity to exercise or to maintain that spirit of offering. <coughs> Manishinaha, they become Manishinaha. Manishinaha means wise. Slowly, slowly we acquire that wisdom. And then, Janma Bandhavidarmuktaha, in course of time you gain the knowledge. Janma Bandhavidarmuktaha, one become, they become totally free from the Bandha meaning bondage of Janma. Janma means birth. So, this whole birth and death process itself is bondage, as an expression of bondage. What is bondage? Bondage is, can be said in different ways. But the bondage ultimately results in the form of my dependence. When there is a sense of lack or want or incompleteness within, then I want to be complete and therefore I seek the completeness or fulfillment through things other than myself. And therefore my happiness or fulfillment depends upon, depends upon things other than myself. They decide whether I am happy or not. And that's the call, that's called bondage. And that's what makes me transmigrate from one life to one embodiment to another embodiment. When I find the end of this life that I am not yet fulfilled, well, then I adopt another embodiment again, continuing my quest. So this quest of freedom continues from one birth to another birth. Janma bandhavinar muktaha. So birth itself is considered to be an expression of this bondage. Why am I born? Because I want to be free. Why do I want to be free? Because I think that I am bound. So therefore, it is the conclusion that I am bound creates in me a desire to be free and when the desire for freedom is not fulfilled in this life, it prop compels me again to take another embodiment so that I can fulfill my desire for freedom. In that sense, Banjanma or the birth is looked upon as an expression of bondage. There is nothing there is, uh, nobody is against birth or death or any, any happening in the life. But inasmuch as birth is an expression of an incomplete being, why am I born? To be complete and to be free. And so, one who is born is bound. One who is born is incomplete. And if I continue to feel bound or incomplete or unfulfilled at the end of this life, it will be necessary for me to be born again to continue my quest for fulfillment of freedom in life. So therefore, Lord Krishna says, Janma Bandha Vindur Muktaha, totally free from the bondage in the form of birth and death, this whole cycle of birth and death, the cause and effect, Padam Gachanti Anamayam, they attain that Padam or that abode, Anamayam, which is beyond the evils, it is what was said, beyond good and evil, but they attain that abode, which is beyond all the evils. Meaning, they attain the, the self, which is beyond both the virtue and the vice. And that is what they attain. That's what we call the mukti or the liberation. In short, karma yoga becomes a means for liberation. First, by purifying the mind. And secondly, by becoming means for knowledge. 
it becomes a means for liberation indirectly. <coughs> These very same ideas which we already discussed alone are being expressed in these verses here. To verse 52, someone may want to know, when will I gain that, when will I gain that purification of mind? When will I gain that knowledge? When will I gain that wisdom? Because the purpose of the karma yogi also is wisdom. So he is asking, when will I gain that wisdom? The Lord Krishna describes that in two steps. First step is what we call the purification of mind. And then the second step is the wisdom. So in the verse 52 it is said, Yadatoi mohakalalam buddhir vyatitarishyadi padadantas nirvedam shrutavyasya shrutasya cha Yada yasmin kale at whatever time So first of all no time can be specified here as to how long should I perform this action with the attitude of yoga how long will it take to purify the mind how long should I go on with this this is the question when will I become liberated when will I attain a, a pure mind there is no time limit. All you can say is that when you follow this path, definitely you are on the path of self-purification and ultimately the self-fulfillment. When will the destination we reach will depend upon the speed with which you are traveling and also depends upon where you begin your travel. People begin their travel from different stations depending upon my present state of mind, how pure I am. And that's going to require uh, more I have to work with myself, more time it's going to require. And as we said, this is not looked upon as a process of one lifetime, it's looked upon as a process continuing from any number of lifetimes. It's not that we just began in this life, that we are going on from a long time. Before one comes to Vedanta and cultivates a love for Vedanta and enjoys that, that shows that person has been working on this for God knows how many lifetimes. Because as in the sixth chapter it will be said that a person in every life one keeps on acquiring some purification, some purification. And ultimately that the, the final achievement is attained. And so how long should we do that? There is no such time limit. Just as somebody may ask, somebody is digging well for water, how long should I keep on digging? until you get water. That's the only answer. But when will I get it? Depends on the soil. In some soil the water is there in the uh, 15 or 20 feet below the ground. In some place 100 feet, 200 feet, 1000 feet, even 6000 feet they have to dig before they can get water. Depending upon what kind of a soil it is. And depending upon how sincere you are also in your efforts of digging. But the criterion is water. And so it doesn't, should not really matter when. Because Swamiji is very fond of saying, when you go to Himalayas, when you, the pilgrim in the Himalayas, and there are very beautiful shrines in the Himalayas, and there are those tracks leading to those shrines. So not only the destination is beautiful, but the very journey itself is beautiful. So even when you are carrying out a journey, you are walking through these trails in the Himalayas, itself is so beautiful that you need not give up the joy of your journey in order for your preoccupation with destination. And so some people are so preoccupied with when will I achieve that they often give up the joy of even the very journey. Whole journey itself is very enjoyable. And so as you as you take up this Svarpa Mapyasya Dharmasya Trayate Mahatobhayat Earlier Lord Krishna said that even if you adopt this in a, in a, in a, in a little degree, then you will ultimately be freed from a great calamity or a great danger. What is important is this whole, this attitude. What is important is this understanding. And this understanding will bring about a certain attitude in my life. And to the extent that that attitude becomes abiding in me, to that extent I will discover an inner satisfaction. You perform one action a day, just selflessly, without expecting a reward, just do it for the love of doing it. Perform one action in the spirit of offering or sacrifice and you will discover that satisfaction. 
and that satisfaction will ultimately prompt you to do more and more of that. Ultimately that, that will become the way of your life. And thus that inner satisfaction will come by the very performance of action. You won't even know to wait for the result to discover a satisfaction or enjoyment. You find that the happiness does not come through the senses. Happiness always arises from within. Happiness always wells up from within. All you have to do is to create a, an environment, that's all. Happiness is always there, all is to become is, it has become manifest. Just as electricity may very well be there, I just plug a bulb in there, and then the electricity which was there becomes manifest. Since electricity requires a bulb or some medium to become manifest, when we insert a bulb, it is not that we are creating electricity, but the electricity which is present becomes manifest. And so also we create certain conducive conditions and we feel happy. It is not that the happiness has been created. Happiness which is already there has become manifest. But then it requires a certain conducive condition to become manifest. And that condition alone is called the mind. And to the extent the mind imbibes the spirit of offering, giving, worshipping, to that extent it becomes a medium conducive for the manifestation of the happiness which is within our own self. And so when says you will discover happiness as you go along, it is not that freedom will come one day, but then you keep on becoming free as you go along. As, as we gain this wisdom, to whatever extent we gain, to that extent we become free from various notions, various prejudices, various preoccupations, various fears, attachments, aversions, various complexes, we keep on becoming free. And thus we keep discovering freedom all the way. Every day you will shed off some complexes. And to, to that extent you become free. And ultimately you become free from all the complexes. And so one need not really be too much worried about when. All important is that one must keep on striving. That's important. In any case, Lord Krishna does give us here, does give us here some indications. Yadate mohakalinam buddhihi vyati tarishyade. Yadate buddhihi. When your buddhihi or when your mind, mohakalinam vyati tarishyade. There is what we call mohakalinam. Kalinam meaning turbidity. Moha means delusion. You know turbidity, when in water we add some dirt or mud, then water becomes turbid. The water becomes muddy. Then you cannot see your face clearly in that. And if the water surface is disturbed, then also the reflection becomes disturbed. The reflection becomes uh, dull. Now that turbidity is not really inherent in water. It is something that is foreign, something that is incidental, and therefore it can be removed. So when you filter or whatever process is required for clarification of the water, again when water attains its natural clarity and natural stillness, then you can see your face very clearly. So when this dirt is added in water, then its clarity becomes obscured. And when the dirt is removed from the water, then the clarity which is natural in water becomes manifest. Actually, we are not cleaning the water. We are removing the dirt which is added into water. Because clarity or purity is the nature of water. And so when you remove dirt from the water, you are not really cleaning the water. You are not doing anything with the water. All you are doing is enabling the water to manifest the purity of the clarity which is its nature. And so also, that clarity is the nature of the mind. If by adding some dirt you change, you bring about an intrinsic change in the nature of water, you can't change it. But even when the water looks dirty, it is not dirty. The dirt is something that is incidental, something that is foreign. And similarly also, our mind may be turbid, our mind may be dirty, it may have all kinds of evil, evil things in them. But they are not natural to the mind. Mind is naturally pure, naturally clean, and therefore that clarity of the mind becomes manifest as this turbidity goes. Moha Kalilam. 
Moha actually is Aviveka, non-discrimination. And the first expression of Moha or non-discrimination, as you said, is Ahankara or Ego, that sense of individuality that comes from identification with the non-self, such as body. So taking body which is not self, as a self, is called Moha or Aviveka, non-discrimination. And that alone brings about what we call ahankara or the sense of individuality. Which further brings about, as you said, the likes and dislikes and fears and various complexes. All of that follows in the wake of ego. Which is, ego is very often compared to the Ravana in Ramayana. His whole of his army is all these likes, dislikes and various complexes. <coughs> and so, what happens is, that ego and the resultant likes and dislikes create various attractions and attachments and, and, and hatred, you know, towards the objects and things and beings of the world and always keeps my mind distracted from itself. It is moha or aviveka or non-discrimination is what always keeps my mind extrovert. All the time the mind is thinking of what? Thinking of something that it likes or something that it hates. These are the two things that the mind thinks of. So this hatred as well as this attachment, both of them always keep the mind busy or engaged in thoughts of non-self. And that's how these likes and dislikes deprive the mind of its own self and always make the mind engaged or busy with non-self. Always keep the mind extrovert, always focused away from itself. This was moha or aviveka or delusion does to us. And as slowly and slowly this what we call karma yoga, this whole attitude of offering, of worship, of looking upon everything as expression, of seeing everything as expression of God, seeing everything as the divine scheme of the Lord. In the beginning it is a make-believe perhaps, a Munian intellectual concept, not a make-believe but an intellectual concept. In course of time we start seeing that fact also. So in the beginning I understand, yeah, God is the creator, he is the sustainer, he is the intelligent cause, he is the material cause, he alone is everything. This is all I understand. Slowly I start seeing that. And I see in everything the expression of the divinity. Then the mind becomes slowly and slowly abiding. It becomes free from this extrovertedness, free from this delusion. And that's what Lord Krishna says, that as you perform, as we adopt this whole attitude of offering to the Lord, slowly and slowly mind will start becoming free from its false attachments, fascinations, complexes, reactions and you'll discover a mind that is more and more abiding, more and more self-sufficient. It discovers a satisfaction from within, self-satisfying. Its needs to gain satisfaction out of other things will slowly reduce you don't have to force your mind. But as the mind discovers the satisfaction from within itself, its needs to seek satisfaction from the world automatically goes down. And that kind of a healthy condition we want. We don't want to suppress our mind or we don't want to deprive our mind of its needs. On the other hand, we want to expose the mind to where those needs can be genuinely satisfied and that is the self. And for that we have to make a beginning. And the beginning is in the, in, the, in the sense of adopting this attitude of offering, which again comes from an overall understanding that what I am seeking is to be found within myself and not without myself. Even the God that I am seeking also is my very self ultimately and that is how I have to know Him. And it is this basic understanding of life that enables me to adopt this attitude and that enables me to discover a satisfaction from within myself. And slowly and slowly as the mind becomes free from this, what we call the turbidity, in terms of attachments, aversions, complexes, reactions, to that extent it acquires its natural clarity. And as the mind keeps acquiring natural clarity, it discovers a satisfaction or a cheerfulness, a happiness within itself, which is the nature of the mind. In fact, nature of mind is happiness. 
we, we find ourselves unhappy only because of there are unnatural things which are there like likes, dislikes and complexes. As those unnatural elements being start getting purged out, to that extent we discover that natural cheerfulness or happiness which is our nature. And then when the mind completely becomes free from this likes and dislikes, tadagantasi nirvedam, that viveka or the discrimination will slowly and slowly be discovered and one will discover nirveda meaning vairagya. Nirveda means a freedom from attachments and aversions. Or nirveda means that a discovery of a self-satisfaction which is called vairagya or dispassion. So mind will become clearer and clearer. Its understanding also will become clearer and clearer. And this is the result of karma yoga. A purification of the mind. And how do we know that the mind is purified? To the extent that we have vairagya, to the extent that we have dispassion. Meaning, to the extent that we discover the freedom from the attachments and aversion, to the extent that we discover a sense of abidance, a sense of self-satisfaction, to that extent we know that our mind is pure. The purest mind is the mind that abides in itself. And to the extent that we discover an abiding mind, to that extent we know that the mind is pure. And so criterion of purity is what we call dispassion. The manifestation of inner happiness, inner peace or abidance. And so you will discover a freedom. So freedom is discovered in two steps. First is freedom from the dependence upon the objects and achievements of the world. And why am I dependent upon these things? Because I am seeking happiness. Because I find myself not a happy person. And therefore, I am seeking happiness from these external things. To the extent that I keep discovering the happiness within myself, to that extent, I discover freedom from dependence. Freedom from the world is not turning away from the world. Not rejecting the world. It's that I just become free, free from dependence upon the world. I become a giver rather than a beggar. Tada gantas nirvedam shrotavyasya shrutasyacha. Shrotavya, that which should be heard. Shruta, that which is heard. You can interpret that as that which is to be gained or that which has already been gained. In terms of the material gains and achievements, you become free from a need for material gains and achievements which you already have or which you can possibly have in future, you'll become free from all that, to the extent because that alone is called vairagya. So vairagya is freedom, self-sufficiency, and this is what you will discover as a result of this karma yoga, meaning as a result of maintaining this attitude of offering and worship. In this, Lord Krishna gives us some landmarks here. How do I know that I'm progressing? This is the question. How do I know that I am going ahead with this? Well, the criterion is something that I myself can judge. That do I find myself a person who is satisfied with myself? Do I find a person myself as a person who accepts myself? Who is at home with myself? Who is happy with myself? To that extent, you know that you are growing. So that is what we call the inner growth or the, the emotional maturity results in the form of self-satisfaction, self-acceptance, being at home with oneself. And when I'm totally at home with myself, we will call that wisdom. A wise person is one who is totally at home with himself. And therefore he is at home with everything. And that is, first step is to discover it in a relative degree. The ultimate step is to discover that in the absolute way. <coughs> okay. Om Purnamada Purnamidam Purnat Purnamudachyade Purnasya Purnamadaya Purnameva Vashishyade Om Shanti 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 Shankaram Shankaracharyam Keshavam Badarayanam Sutra Bhashya Krutau Vande Bhagavantau Punaf Punaha 
ईश्वरो गुरुरात्मे मूर्तिभेद विभागिने व्योमद्याप्तहाय दक्षिणामूर्त नम ओ हरि ओ श्री गुरुभ्यो नम हरि ओम